Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Chris Cast. I am your host, Chris. This week, I will be reviewing Alone in Berlin, as well as the HBO Max service, and more, plus news you can use. Stay tuned. Let's start off with some exciting DC news. Of course, it's been announced that the Snyder Cut will be coming to HBO Max, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Many people have been clamoring for it for a couple years now. They've had banners at the comic conventions. It's finally announced it will come to HBO Max in in 2021. So, stay tuned for more details as to the actual release of it and what all they add to it. I know it's going to be a drastically different film. Hopefully, it will be much better received and... Warner Brothers will start looking at their directors and writers knowing what they're doing instead of going back and changing everything. Time will tell. But also this week, this from Deadline.com, DC Legends of Tomorrow loses key series regular ahead of season 6. And of course, if you haven't seen the season or the season finale, there are spoilers here. But... DC Legends of Tomorrow is saying goodbye to a key cast member, Maisie Richardson Sellers, who most recently portrayed Charlie on the CW drama series, won't be returning for season 6. In Tuesday night's season 5 finale, after a performance by her band The Smell, Charlie announced she was leaving the Wave Rider. And the article goes on if you want to read more about it. I just personally, I'm not bothered by her loss. Charlie really didn't bring much to the game anymore because she could no longer manipulate what she looked like, and that was an important part of her character. When they took that away, it just kind of ruined everything. So I hate to see any regular cast member go, but I welcome the change for the stories to get better. So hopefully they will. Also, of course, Ruby Rose announced that she is leaving Batwoman after one season, which is terribly shocking and sad news for the fans. Um, Newsweek had this story, though. Batwoman, the CW show, announces how it will replace Ruby Rose. Last month, Batwoman star Ruby Rose announced that she was leaving the show after one season on the CW product. The network has now announced that rather than recasting Kate Kane, they will instead have a new character wear the cape and lead season two. The CW confirmed to TV Line that they would, quote, create a brand new character, end quote, to replace Kane in the show. A now-deleted Reddit post featured a reported leaked casting call that might give fans of the DC Comics show their first look at the new Batwoman lead. Per Decider, this character is currently called Ryan Wilder and is described as likable, messy, a little goofy, and untamed. The description adds, with no one in her life to keep her on track, Ryan spent years as a drug runner, dodging the GCPD, and masking her pain with bad habits. A girl who would steal milk for an alley cat could also kill you with her bare hands. Ryan is the most dangerous type of fighter, highly skilled and wildly undisciplined. An out lesbian, athletic, raw, passionate, fallible, and very much not your stereotypical all-American hero. So, on the flip side, it's great that they're not replacing Kate Kane, leaving an option for Ruby Rose to be able to come back, it would seem. But, 
you still have a successful series and a recognizable lead and you don't want to see that end so quickly. So hopefully we'll be able to come up with something from this, but I just don't know if it's going to be salvageable at this point. I hope for the best because Batwoman has been a very good show this first season. Strong stories, good action, just the whole way through. And I would hate to see after 20 episodes it turns into nothing. I trust the producers because they've done such a great job with all the Arrowverse so far. I just don't know. Hoping for the best. And in still more DC news from BleedingCool.com. Lucifer, Tom Ellis, Netflix, WBTV, deal reportedly clears Season 6 path. Don't be greedy, Lucifer fans. Just because you're getting a fifth and now most likely sixth season of Lucifer doesn't mean it was guaranteed to be a smooth journey. Sure, it looked that way going into April with Netflix interest in a new season and signing co-showrunners, and I per, forgive me if I mispronounce this, Ildi Madrovich and Joe Henderson to new deals making prospects that much brighter. Things came to a screeching halt last month with reports that series lead Tom Ellis and Warner Brothers TV had reached an impasse on a season six deal. With a sixth season... Sorry, I misread that. While a sixth season was built into Ellis's contract so not returning would have put him in breach, no one wanted that to happen for a wide variety of reasons. Now it appears that won't be the case with TV Line reporting that both parties have reached an agreement on a new contract that clears the way for both a season 6 pickup as well as a 5th season premiere date. Representatives from both Netflix and Warner Brothers TV have not commented on the reporting. And it says a season 5 premiere date still have not released a premiere date for season 5. It's been over a year since season four had premiered. I know I'm one of the fans, but fans are outraged that we're still not getting more Lucifer yet. It's time. I don't know what's taking so long to get this here. Hopefully, we will get a date very, very soon, though. Another article from BleedingCool.com. Suicide Squad. Adam Beach reveals Slipknot deleted scenes. Ever since HBO Max's announcement of the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, a hopeful few dreamed of David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad seeing the light of day. To get the ball rolling, Adam Beach, who played the ill-fated Slipknot in the 2016 film, answered a fan inquiry about what the Ayer cut includes. Among the scenes excluded in the final theatrical cut, Beach confirmed was added backstory for Slipknot. He tweeted, there was an opening sequence of how I got caught for the Suicide Squad program that was pretty cool. In the original film, despite being warned about the kill switches that detonate upon Amanda Waller's command with a single push on her tablet, the villain made a break for it, followed by instant decapitation. As far as who captured Slipknot in Suicide Squad, Beach revealed it was Wonder Woman around the film's release. When inquired about this his reasoning to omit the sequence, Ayer told Empire, yeah, we shot one, but after a point it became overloaded, you know, so you have to cut, you have to cull and pick and choose your battles. Slipknot gets his head blown off pretty quick. 
I made a commitment early on not to try and create some kind of misdirect because when you have that many characters, every frame, every frame of real estate is priceless, and I didn't want to invest in that real estate to create some misdirect because after opening night, everyone knows he dies anyway. When inquired about what it would take to complete his cut, Ayer responded, My cut would be easy to complete. It would be incredibly cathartic for me. It's exhausting getting your ass kicked for a film that got the Edward Scissorhands treatment. The film I made was has never been seen. The air cut of Suicide Squad hasn't gotten the attention the Snyder cut of Justice League had because the changes weren't likely as dramatic. When Snyder had to abandon Justice League to deal with a personal matter, director Joss Whedon took over to complete the film with numerous scenes that needed to be reshot. So, as you know, for me, more Wonder Woman is a great thing. And I would be happy to see that cut just to get the Wonder Woman scene. So hopefully that will happen. Now, changing gears here. This comes from Gizmodo.com. The first Star Wars game show is coming and the trailer is here. This was dated May 27th because you'll see there's a reason why I say that here just now. Next week, every Star Wars fan will wish they were a kid again. That's because on June 3rd, Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge will finally be released to the world, hosted by Ahmed Best, a.k.a. Jar Jar Binks himself. The show is very much like the kids' game shows many of us grew up with. Double Dare, Endurance, Guts, etc. Except this time, it's all Star Wars. The show was supposed to debut on Disney+, Plus, but those plans clearly changed. It actually works out better, though, because Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge will instead live on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, which is free and available to all, no subscription required. Now, yes, that's good for the people who don't have Disney+, Plus, but it's also kind of a negative for the people who do have Disney+. Plus. You want all the shows they offer instead of everything being spread around everywhere. Now, I can understand not putting Family Guy on a stream that you want adult, or you want family-friendly, because... Family Guy is a very adult cartoon. However, you cannot alienate everybody that you have already. So, you know, it's kind of a no-win situation here. They put it on YouTube free for everyone. you got to go to a different service when you could have it right there in your account when you open Disney Plus for all the other shows you watch on there. It also has a way of generating more revenue, like I said with the DC Universe shows going to CW. Of course, Swamp Thing is going to the CW this fall to have a series that has a lot of interest and to have something new for a lot of people because a lot of people didn't get to see it because they don't have DC Universe. Also, for the DC Universe, it generates more revenue from that series because they are paid licensing fees and the commercials add more money to the show. So that may finally result in us getting more Swamp Thing stories if it does well. So make sure you watch Swamp Thing this fall on the CW. It'll be available on the CW seat, I'm sure, as well as on TV. It won't be the complete version, obviously, because they'll have to cut stuff for broadcast because Swamp Thing was pretty violent. But, it will be on there for you to get a taste of it and see if you want more. Personally, you know I love the DC Universe shows. I can't get enough of them. I think it's the best money I'm spending right now.
other people may not feel the same. It's all a matter of taste. And from eonline.com, Ryan Gosling to play Wolfman in remake of this classic monster movie. Here's some news to howl about. Ryan Gosling is rumored to be the next star to play Wolfman. According to multiple reports, the Notebook star will take on the famous character in Universal's next film from their monster universe. It will be the first, his first time stepping into a role of a supernatural nature, which delights fans. Moreover, it is reported that Gosling was the individual to pitch the concept for the movie. His concept guided the screenwriters who happened to be Orange is the New Black writers Lauren Shukerbloom and Rebecca Angelo. At this moment, no director has been chosen to lead the film, but Universal is considering numerous options. The last film to tackle the hairy monster was 2010's The Wolfman, which starred Benicio Del Toro and An with Anthony Hopkins, Emma Blunt, and Hugo Weaving starring opposite. While the 2010 film followed the origin story of the werewolf, this new adaptation is believed to be styled after Jake Gyllenhaal's Nightcrawler, meaning this will be a more modern take on the villain. Unfortunately, fans will have to wait some time before they can see this movie on the big screen. Ryan is going to star in yet another adaptation, this one being The Martian. Production has not started on the Phil Lord and Christopher Miller film, but when it does, there's no doubt it will take up most of Gosling's time and energy. Until the highly anticipated premiere of, Wolf, of the Wolfman film, fans will just have to get their fill of Universal's monsters by checking out Elizabeth Moss's Invisible Man, which, as I reviewed here a few weeks ago, The Invisible Man was extremely well done. Excellent film all around. Really like their take on it. I highly suggest watching it. You can go back and listen to my review and listen to me rave on it some more if you'd like. But... Hopefully, the Wolfman will follow in the steps of the Invisible Man and be a great new story instead of a rehashed bad version that doesn't need to be made. Time will tell. And finally, very sad news prior to Gay Pride Month. This article was posted May 27th. Larry Kramer dies. The normal heart playwright, AIDS activist, was 84 remembered as an undeniable accelerant for change. This article comes from Deadline.com, and in honor of Larry Kramer, I am going to read the entire article this time. Larry Kramer, the playwright whose righteous fury over a lackluster governmental and societal response to the early AIDS crisis fueled his groundbreaking 1985 play The Normal Heart and an activism that led in the 1980s to both the gay men's health crisis and ACT UP died Wednesday of pneumonia in Manhattan. He was 84. His death was announced to the New York Times by his husband, architect David Webster. Kramer had lived for decades with HIV and underwent a liver transplant due to liver disease. In a statement today, GLAD president and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis said, Larry Kramer's contributions to the LGBTQ movement and the fight against HIV-AIDS are incalculable. Glad and so many LGBTQ people and allies recognize Larry as an undeniable accelerant who not only fearlessly demanded change, but made it come to pass. We send all of our love to Larry's loved ones during this time, and though we are saddened by his passing, we are forever grateful for his leadership and heroism. Kramer's groundbreaking The Normal Heart a barely-veiled account of his own co-founding of an expulsion from GMHC, most recently was mounted on Broadway in a 2011 production starring Joe Montello, John Benjamin Hickey, Ellen Barkin, Jim Parsons, and Lee Pace.
Set during the early years of the crisis from 1981 to 84, The Normal Heart features the Kramer-based character Ned Weeks who cares for his ailing, closeted lover Felix and, enraged by the apathy of society at large, turns to activism to raise the alarm. The 2011 production won three Tony Awards, including Best Revival of a Play. A 2014 HBO adaptation of the play, directed by Ryan Murphy and starring Mark Ruffalo, Matthew Bomer, and Julia Roberts, won multiple Emmys, including Outstanding Television Movie. Prior to his breakthrough as a playwright, Kramer enjoyed brief Hollywood success with his Oscar-nominated screenplay for 1969's Women in Love, based on the novel by D.H. Lawrence, directed by Ken Russell and starring Alan Bates, Oliver Reed, and Oscar-winning Glenda Jackson. His next Hollywood project, a screenplay of, for 1973's Lost Horizon, starring Peter Finch and Liv Ullman, was less favorably received, and Kramer soon turned to writing novels. That allowed Kramer greater freedom to explore his own homosexuality and New York's gay community in all its pre-AIDS freedoms and, in Kramer's view, libertinism. The result was Faggots, a 1978 novel that both made Kramer's name in literary circles and earned him the ire of many of the Manhattan Fire Island circuit he so unforgivingly chronicled. But history soon stepped in, and Kramer watched in horror and increasing rage as he knew gay cancer took hold in 1980 and quickly devastated the very communities that had inspired his novel. In 1983, Kramer wrote the co the Cure essay, 1,112 and counting for the New York native, chastising all gay and straight whom he felt had failed to recognize the AIDS for the killer it already was. His anger intimidated even those who were on his side, as can be seen in film, footage from of the writer shouting plague to quiet the bickering act-up attendees at a 1991 meeting. The footage is included in David Francis' documentary, How to Survive a Plague. As depicted in The Normal Heart, his confrontational approach with cohorts as well as political enemies, including New York Mayor Ed Koch and Dr. Anthony Fauci, with whom he eventually reached a, a detent, quickly alienated the other early members of GMHC, an organization started in Kramer's Greenwich Village apartment, and he was soon kicked out of the group. He slammed GMHC as a sad organization of sissies. More to his liking was ACT UP, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, a collection of young activists who combined militant protest, street theater, medical self-education, and clever, memorable, silence equals death messaging. Following the off-Broadway success of, of the 1985 public theater staging of The Normal Heart, Kramer wrote Just Say No, a poorly received 1988 satire that slammed Ronald and Nancy Reagan. The play closed off-Broadway after just a month. Much more successful was 1992's The Destiny of Me, an off-Broadway sequel to The Normal Heart that starred John Cameron Mitchell. Viewed as a comeback for the playwright, Destiny was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. In more recent years, Kramer returned to book writing in, a particular, in particular a massive, audacious two-part novel, 2016 and 2020, titled The American People, that depicted historical figures as gay and included as a character the virus that Kramer had said had been around for millennia before finally savaging the gay community. Reviews were, for the most part, negative, though even naysayers often marveled at the sweep of Kramer's vision. Kramer suffered a nearly fatal case of liver disease in 2001, receiving a transplant. A dozen years later, back for another surgery, Kramer married Webster in his hospital room. 
and that's the story of the life of Larry Kramer, as told by Deadline.com. An amazing man who contributed so much, and if you haven't seen The Normal Heart, I highly recommend it. It is on HBO Max, which I will be reviewing, as, as I said, after I return. But thank you, Larry Kramer, for everything you did, and I dedicate this show to your memory. Welcome back. First up, let's review Alone in Berlin. The other guys gave it ratings of IMDb said 6.5 out of 10, Rotten Tomatoes said 57%, and Metacritic said 52. The synopsis from this from Wikipedia. Alone in Berlin is a 2016 war drama film directed by Vincent Perez and written by Perez and Akim von Boris, based on the 1947 fictionalized novel Every Man Dies Alone by Hans Falada. The novel's characters Otto and Anna Quangle are based on Otto and Elise Hempel. When their son dies in France, the couple start writing postcards to urge pro people to protest against Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. The film stars Emma Thompson, Brendan Gleeson, Daniel Brühl, and Mikhail Persbrandt. Principal photography began on 27 March 2015 in Berlin. It was selected to compete for the Golden Bear at the 66th Berlin International Film Festival. Um, the cast was excellent. Of course, Emma Thompson is great in about everything that she does. Um... I really don't have anything terrible to say about this movie. The production value was great. The story drags a little bit at times, but it's a World War II story that's completely different from most World War II films, which is a welcome change. Um, it is a drama, and it is a story-driven drama, so of course it's going to have to be slow at times. I do highly recommend it. I thought it was a very well done film. I thought it was interesting. And of course the fact that it's based on real people even though it's a fictional telling. It gives you a little bit more. You can learn more about somebody from the past which is always a good thing. It also emphasizes even though this is a fictional story there were Germans who were against the Nazis. It was very common. Of course, well reported the assassination attempts of Hitler from his own people. So, not everybody in Germany was evil. You have to keep that in mind. And regardless of the leader, the people are still the people. Many of them will disagree. Some of them quietly because they're afraid, depending on the circumstances. Some of them very loudly. Of course, the current state of our country in America proves how very different people can be from their leader. So that's just another nice way of seeing that Germany was not the enemy. The Nazis were the enemy. So, as always, innocence got caught in the crossfire. But if you have Netflix and have... Obviously, according to Bing Prime Video, 
you should check this film out, especially if you enjoy World War II stories that don't involve the war per se. The war is a backdrop. There is mention of their son who was lost in battle during the, show, during the film. And it shows the police trying to catch whoever it is leaving the postcards. It shows how he almost gets caught a couple of times. So there is intrigue and suspense along the way. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy it. I give it a three and a half out of five stars. Like I said, Emma Thompson, always a delight on screen. And here again, she does a wonderful job. Check it out if you get the chance and let me know what you think. That's Twitter. You can reach me at Chris underscore H71. Or you can email me directly at Chris underscore H71 at yahoo.com. Next up is Niagara. Now, I told you last week I was planning to review a Marilyn Monroe film in honor of her birthday, which was June 1st. And I chose Niagara because I've always thought this was a shining example of a Marilyn Monroe film. According to Bing, you can watch it with a subscription on Fubo TV or Amazon Prime. It is available to rent or buy on Microsoft, iTunes, or Vudu. So, plenty of options to watch this. The other guys rated it IMDb a 7 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes 84%. The cast includes Marilyn Monroe, Joseph Cotton, Gene Peters, Max Showalter, Dennis O'Day, and Richard Allen, for just to name a few. And... I really, really recommend watching this film. If you think Marilyn cannot act, and you think all she could do was the blonde bimbo role, you really, truly need to watch this film. It is a film about her trying to get rid of her husband, is all I will say. Of course, it takes place at Niagara Falls on the Canadian side. And it's so much in this film. You've got the beautiful landscapes of Niagara Falls. You've got Marilyn Monroe looking about as good as she ever looked. You've got Marilyn Monroe actually being allowed to act a part. You've got an intriguing story. You've got mystery and suspense. This is this film, I would consider it Hitchcockian in the way it is portrayed. It is excellently done. I very much enjoy this film, and I always suggest this and Don't Bother to Knock as two of the best examples of Marilyn Monroe's acting. I think she does so well in both of them, and they are such a departure from what she usually does. So, all my gushing, what do I rate it? Easily, four out of five stars. This film is fantastic. It's enjoyable. It's not that long, so the story pace keeps moving throughout. The production value is fantastic. It is a classic in my book. Of course, anything with Marilyn is always going to be worth watching, but this one is a shining example of her work. Please check it out if you get the chance. Let me know what you think as well, because I really want to hear from other people on this film. Everybody that I talk to, nobody's ever watched it, which is really sad because it is such a good film. So hit me up. Chris underscore H71 on Twitter, 
or chris underscore h71 at yahoo.com. And finally, just some thoughts on the HBO Max service. What I feel it's lacking is the library content of TV shows. You've got so many shows like Growing Pains, Alice, and The Dukes of Hazard that did not make it on. And you've got so many shows that are current. They have plenty of HBO shows, everything HBO has ever done, everything Cinemax has done. They've got a good selection of Adult Swim and Cartoon Network stuff. They've got a, the Flintstones. They've got the Jetsons. They've got several Scooby-Doo shows from the past. I just I want more from the service. Of course, The Big Bang Theory, Young Sheldon will be coming to it. Friends is coming is on there. If you like those shows, I wasn't a fan of Friends. I've never watched The Big Bang Theory, but I look forward to trying it out. So, that's the negatives. The positives. You've got a ton of movies on there. You've got several Alfred Hitchcock greats, and one that I very much plan to watch very soon is The Lodger, which is a silent film about Jack the Ripper taking a boarding room for the night. You've got all the HBO Max, all the HBO and Cinemax shows. But also on the HBO Max, you've got segments devoted to DC, Sesame Street Workshop, Turner Classic Movies, Studio Ghibli, Looney Tunes, Crunchyroll, Adult Swim Collection, Cartoon Network. There's so much on HBO Max right now. All eight Harry Potter films are available. Uh, featured movies they have on there. Magic Mike, Titanic, Lucy in the Sky, Black Klansman, Wonder Woman, The Meg on the Record, When Harry Met Sally, Suicide Squad, Aquaman, Batman v Superman. Basically the entire run of the DCEU movies. Um... Of course, Cinemax Originals, Love the Life, Looney Tunes Cartoons, On the Record, Legendary, The Not Too Late Show with Elmo, Craftopia, and featured series include Betty, Sesame Street, Insecure, I Know This Much Is True, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, The Big Bang Theory, The Sopranos, High Maintenance, uh, Primal, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Game of Thrones, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Complete Batwoman Season 1, Run, Rick and Morty, Impractical Jokers, Doctor Who, Westworld, and The Boondocks. So, there is lots to look for on there. So many movies, many shows, movies that you may not have seen before, like Steel, before Disney Plus gets it later next year, I believe, Sky High is currently available on HBO Max. The Tuskegee Airmen, uh, Ricochet, Red Planet, The Pelican Brief, Overnight Delivery, The Outlist. So much on there. Definitely something for everybody. And another thing that it features are some BBC series. I believe Coupling was on there, as well as Alan Partridge, which Alan Partridge I thought was hilarious. If you get the chance and you like BBC shows, watch that. Something else that's on there that's great, Little Britain, 
fantastic show. They have Little Britain USA and, I believe, the original Little Britain series. So, again, lots to choose from on HBO Max. Highly suggest it if you're into any of that, that you get it. It's definitely worth the price for me. I don't know about you. I just wish that they would share their DC shows that they're doing with DC Universe, since DC Universe is sharing Doom Patrol with HBO Max. And Doom Patrol, trust me, is worth the price of admission alone. I do believe they're offering a free time right now. I don't know how long it is. I subscribed when it was discounted to $11.99 a month for a year. So I don't know what the current rate is. I know it's $14.99 a month, but I don't know how long the free lasts. So that's something worth checking out as well. But anyways, that is HBO Max. As far as a stars, if I'm going to give it a stars, I'm going to have to give it 4 out of 5. It's missing some stuff, but there's so much great entertainment on there. Hopefully they will add more library shows. I would love to see The Man from Atlantis added. Like I said, Dukes of Hazard. You've got the Dukes of Hazard animated. You've got the Adams Family animated series. Just You can look up online the shows that Warner Brothers has produced through the years, and you will see there is tons that they need to put on there. But time will tell if they will or not. And I'm hoping that they will. Anyways, that is my show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll see you then.